Hey guys, and welcome to the 20 something podcast. I am your host, Tiana. And I'm your other host, Mary Hannah. And today we're going to be doing something kind of in light of the Black Lives Matter movement that is happening right now. Um, Mary Hannah is going to be interviewing me and. Um, I'm going to kind of be talking about my experience as a mixed black and white female um, in the South or just in general. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. I haven't. She sent me the questions, but because I'm a bad co-host, I didn't read through (laughs) all of them. So So that's that's what's going on today. Yeah. So let's just hop right into it. Oh, can I pause really quick to just say. I'm in New York now. I am oh, yeah. currently recording my new podcasting recording studio is my brother's roommate's bedroom. Um, I have my own apartment, but it's in Brooklyn and um, my, our Wi-Fi isn't super awesome. So I am his his bedroom is now my office because both of his roommates left the city um, indefinitely for COVID. And so I have his roommate's room as my studio which is really nice actually um he lives in Manhattan so there's a lot of background noise if you guys hear that that's what that is it's just there's construction outside and um New York is just loud so life in the city (laughs) welcome to New York (laughs) (laughs) so uh, that being said let's hop bop on in (laughs) (laughs) well wait this is also our first episode like apart Oh, that's true. We haven't um, recorded in a different city yet. Wow. Crazy. Let me just move to New York real quick, actually. I would, I would really appreciate that, if we're yeah. being honest. I would enjoy that greatly. Yeah. I'll just drop out of college. Right. It's fine. Yeah. Okay, let's... Let's bop I mean, on it. I'm about that. Wait, no, I'm being serious. You're kidding, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm like halfway kidding because I do want to finish, but I'm like, eh, is it really that important? <laughs> is that, does it really matter? Okay, and as someone who's finished, I'm going to tell you no. <laughs> like, unless you feel like God is pulling you to stay at school. Okay, you know what? We need to have an entire episode about that because I have yeah. stuff to say. So we'll hold off on that. But let's – that actually – that yeah, that actually needs to happen. No, that's a really good idea, actually. That should happen. I think that should definitely happen. Okay. All right. Yeah. Put it on the list. Cool. Now we're bopping in. <laughs> okay, now we are officially bopping in. <laughs> so <laughs> before we kind of fully jump into – everything that we're going to dive into I kind of just want to ask you a question about how you feel white people or just people in general who are not black should be educated on this subject and we kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording but I've seen a lot of stuff of people saying it's not a black person's job to educate white people which I actually watched a video of someone saying When she grew up in school, she had to learn about all of, like, white people's culture and how there's, like, nothing about black people, which I totally agree. Like, growing up, like, in a public school, Uh it's all about, well, these white people came to America and blah, blah, blah. Uh And they killed a bunch of people. 
Right. <laughs> and and like, then they stole some more people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, God. They're like, great, cool. Yeah, and, like, that's really it, which is a – that's just the whole thing about our education system and what we, like, learned growing up. But how do you feel – like this should be addressed and how do you think people need to be educated on it yeah um so I don't necessarily entirely agree I think it is 50 50 maybe not quite 50 50 maybe like 60 40 or something but I think that uh yes it is not we are not obligated to be your educators like there is that aspect where it's like we cannot possibly make you understand. So to some extent, there's just, there's just, there's just that line. Like you, you have to take that step. I think it's, it's really just a matter of, I think we're always taught in school, at least if you were taught at like, like if you were given a good education and had good teachers that cared, you understand Mm -hmm. that. And I was, cause I was homeschooled. So (laughs) My mom. Thank you, mom. <laughs> but um, I think that you have to, you can get as much information as you want. We live in the world of access to everything. You have access mm-hmm. to everything. You can find out anything about anyone, anything. There is access everywhere. And we have that. So you can be given as much information as you could possibly, possibly fathom. But it means nothing if you're not going to take that into and, and put it in yourself and take it on your, upon yourself to further that knowledge and understand it and comprehend what you are learning. Yeah, because I exactly. Think, I think we all know the difference between the student that sat in class and just listened and the student that took the notes, applied the notes, like studied and like did outside research, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a difference between like knowing your stuff and actually applying it and like making that like who you are and becoming who you are. Right. And And so I think, I think what, at least for me, when I say like, when I am talking about self-educating, I don't mean, I'm not going to tell you anything about my experience and it's not my job to teach you everything that happened and go through the entirety of black history for you. That's not what I mean. I think that there are probably like, it is, definitely not our job like it should be taught in schools that's the first that there, there's the first problem is that mm-hmm. there's not enough of black history taught in schools and it's not yeah. prioritized enough and I was lucky to have a homeschooled education where my mom understood the importance of knowing black history and mm-hmm. I I learned a lot about that and so I don't know what it was like for kids in schools not learning that but I do understand that that is something that most kids have as their experience. And so Mm -hmm. like, I'm not saying because I have this knowledge and you don't, and you didn't learn it, that's your fault and you should go learn it on your own. But I'm also saying it's not my job to tell you everything. And if you really, really want to help go out and find resources, because that's what we did. Like, it's not like we were handed all this information we found yeah. resources. We took the time to invest in learning about that, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's all, it, you know, it's a give and take. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Tiana and I, well, <laughs> she used to live in the South. <laughs> I grew up there. I grew up there. 
Yeah. So we both grew up in the South. Do you feel like, well, and for, um, for anybody who doesn't know, we're both from Memphis, Tennessee, which holds a lot, a lot of black history. It is kind of on the parents' job mm-hmm. to educate their children, whether or not they're in school yeah. or not. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like the South has shaped you in a certain way? And how has living in the South like changed or hindered you? With your color, specifically in Memphis, but also you can dive into going to college in Mississippi because that's a whole different world. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, I think that was something. So my family is from Chicago and I it took me a very long time to accept that I was a Memphian because we moved to Memphis when I was probably three. But a lot of my culture is still very much Midwestern because I was homeschooled. My whole family's from the Midwest. Like Mm -hmm. I was very mid. I still have a lot of I, I am very midwestern as a southerner like you know like I would say most of my culture is still kind of like midwestern ish but the way that I behave but um yeah no growing up in the south it took me a long time to accept that that was my lot in life (laughs) because (laughs) I just I at such a young age I was made to think well first off let's start with the fact that there are there still are and there were even less biracial families in Memphis when we moved there. Yeah. My mom said she counted in the first seven years that we lived there. Um, and she count she could count them on one hand how many she saw. And wow. I grew up with no biracial friends. Um I I didn't really realize until probably I was around like six or seven that I was a different color than my friends. Like I didn't really think there was like, Mm -hmm. you know, kids don't see that kids just exist with each other. And so, um, I think that's something to be said. And then just my whole, the South definitely, definitely shaped. I mean, I would not be, I, I know for a fact that I would not be, the advocate that I am for biracial people, um, mm-hmm. for myself, for other people of color, if I had not grown up in the South, because from a very young age, I was told that what my family, what my family was, was wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I remember a conversation I had with another, I was probably seven or eight at this point. Um, we were at my dad's family or not family picnic, uh, work picnic. So there were lots of people from his work there. Mo- uh, most of them were white and this girl, none of them were mixed. Obviously there was literally, I, I knew, I knew I can count the amount of mixed kids I met in my childhood on one hand as well. So like I, I was talking to this girl, she was, we were playing, you know, kids just become friends in like five minutes. So this was my friend for the day. And Mm -hmm. she, um, I look back on the memory and I realized her family was very, very country. Like she was just repeating what she had been taught. So obviously I don't fault her. We were kids, but this is the problem is that it's like the parents that put this in your head. Um, Mm -hmm. because, because kids don't, kids don't think this on their own. Um, yeah, she was like, 
<laughs> she was like, cause my, my parents had come over to check on me. Cause I was with, I was sitting with her and we were eating food and, um, and my parents had come over to make sure I'd gotten my food and everything. Cause I was young and I was little. So mm-hmm. my mom came over and then my dad came over like behind her and they were just checking to make sure I had everything. And, um, and then they walked away and the little girl looks at me and she's just like, so serious. She's like, so your mom is white and your dad is black. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, okay. And she like gets really like quiet and just kind of like, I don't know. That just seems kind of wrong to me. That was the first time that I experienced somebody like, I, I had been asked if I was adopted. Like, people had, like, hinted at the fact that they didn't understand how that, like, was possible, you know? Like, they'd been, like, yeah. seeing me with my mom and just assumed we were adopted. They, they wouldn't – they automatically ruled out the fact that maybe she had married a black man. Like, they mm-hmm. were just like, oh, cool, you guys are adopted. And we were like, no. <laughs> like, this is <laughs> my biological family. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, so – there was that, but that was the first time anybody had ever looked me in my eyes and been like, there's something wrong with your family. And, and that I don't think that would have happened had I grown up in the North because this girl was from a very Southern family. Like, obviously I have no idea where she is now, but there, there's just that culture. And like, yeah. And that was everywhere as a kid for me. Um, People just kind of, People would stare. Oh, my gosh. We got so many stares. I grew up being – my friends always get confused um, when, like, people will stare now and and I don't really react. They'll be like, why is this person, like, staring at us? And I'm like, oh, I didn't even notice because I I grew up being watched. Like, our family was Mm. watched everywhere we went. Um, There were some really hostile encounters. I remember – I don't remember this myself. I was really young. My parents talked, my parents talk about it sometimes. Um, my older brother, I think remembers it, but we went to a restaurant and I don't have the story all the way straight. So I'd have to like check it with my mom, but we went into this restaurant and basically they almost wouldn't serve us. Um, they put us in the very back of the restaurant. They didn't want people to see us. Um, it was very like, it's very obvious. We were not wanted there. And, um, Mm -hmm. so it was just, it was one of those things that and and I'm gonna say this too there's there's racism is not one-sided and I Mm -hmm. think there there is no such thing as reverse racism let me say that one more time there is no such thing as reverse racism (laughs) that does not exist um black people can be racist too uh Asian people can be racist too like racism is is everywhere It, it involves everyone and anyone can be racist Um, and I've experienced racism from both black and white people, um, telling me that I'm not enough of one thing to call myself that. And so, and I don't necessarily know if that would have happened either had I not grown up in the South because black people are so, um, protective of their culture in the South. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, that was a really long answer for that. But yes, the South did for sure shape who I am as the way that I am now and the way that I see things as an ex-person. Yeah. And I know you've talked about this recently, but you went to school in Mississippi. I did. Which, <laughs> <laughs> we love Mississippi. Oh, my favorite Great place. <laughs> um, 
It, it, I do believe it is the worst state I am 100% in America. Spending a, a big portion of my, uh, my, I mean, I spent all of college there, I would say. Yeah. I, I can say without a doubt. And I've been to most states, almost all of them, probably like 40-something 40, 40, mm-hmm. at this point. And uh, Mississippi's definitely the worst, 100%. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're like 50 I'm years really, behind. I'm really sorry if you're from there, but also you should probably get out. <laughs> yeah, run. Like if, if, you are, uh, if you're from there and you're not offended by what I just said, then you should definitely get out. So, Yeah. Um, so you went to college there and some things came up while you were there about a blog post that you wrote. Yeah. And the school said, mm, <laughs> no, 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 stop talking, essentially. Mm-hmm. So kind of just walk me and the listeners through what that was like. My sophomore year was the year from hell for me. <laughs> yeah, I literally. I have never experienced a year <laughs> as bad as 2017 um, in my life. Um, it is now 2020 and I still think, and okay, let's just put this in perspective. I, we are all living through 2020 and we are um, understanding how bad 2020 is. I would still say 2017 was the worst year of my life, hands down. So Mm -hmm. that's just, that's, that's our little, put it in perspective for how bad my year was that year. So I'm at school. I am already miserable. Um, I'm a dance major there. Um, For listeners who have been with us for a minute, um, they know this. I'm a dance major at school. The dance department is about 50% black, 50% white. Um, Well, and then, and then there's me. And I am the only biracial person in this department, <laughs> and, which is not surprising me. I'm used to this by now. So I'm not like, this is not something new to me when I get there. Um, and I really didn't think it was going to be an issue because it, it, it hadn't really been an issue most of my life. Aside from people who didn't matter saying things to me, it, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in this department, sophomore year. The racial tension in this department is absolutely through the roof. There's so much hostility. I can't even begin to explain it because it honestly was so out of this world and like not what you would expect. And all the faculty are white females. And so a lot of the black students with good cause were angry because they felt that there was a lot of racial favoritism and, um, and, and they weren't necessarily wrong. Um, but the way that they chose to voice their, their concerns was very, very wrong. The way that they chose to voice it was wrong. And I get pulled into this department wide feud, which was very hostile because there were some, male dancers who were very aggressive about it um, and scary, honestly. And, um, and there's really no need to go into detail, but you can just understand it was not good and it was not comfortable. Walking into that building, you wanted to cry. Like every time you walked into the mm-hmm. building, you just immediately wanted to leave. The atmosphere was awful. And people were horrible. There were racial slurs being thrown around. There was people talking about other people while they were dancing, like they were bringing their dancing into it. It was awful. And I was being, I was still like a baby at this point in the department. Um, And so, you know what? I'm lying. It wasn't my sophomore year. This was the second semester of my freshman year, I think. 
So, so this, oh, wow. yeah, it was, it was my freshman year. I don't know where, where sophomore came from. This was my freshman year. So I was a baby at this point. And I, I, I didn't want to be brought into their issues. This was not my issue. These were issues between the student. These were upperclassmen that were being super aggressive about things and causing all these problems um, on both sides. Um, because in this situation, there was a black and a white side. And obviously, me being of both races, I had no idea what to do. So I, in my, in my head, just figured I'd stay out of it. And mm-hmm. they had other plans. They being literally everyone. <laughs> so <laughs> there were black students who were telling me I needed to pick a side and it should be theirs. There was a right side for them and it was theirs. Um, and if I didn't, then they took that as an extremely personal offense and I couldn't possibly get on their side because they were being so awful about it. There was no way I was like, what you are saying is right. And the way you are saying it is very, very wrong. So I can't agree with you because you've already dug yourself such a deep hole in this mess that I can't, I can't jump in that hole with you. Like I'm not doing that. And they were like, well, then I guess you just like being white better and being white must be like, you don't like being black and all of this stuff. And there was a lot of comments said to me that were just not, not worth repeating. But, um, and then there was a lot of hostility, just like looks, you know, when you walk into a room and you know, people were talking about you, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm like an infant in college and still trying to figure out who I am. At this point, I hadn't had my identity crisis, like, as a mixed kid. Like, I was just kind of, like, there. This is what caused me mm-hmm. to have my identity crisis. And so then there's white people, white students, who are like, so you're mixed. What's your thoughts? Like, who's right and who's wrong? And I was like, I don't – you're both wrong. <laughs> like, you <laughs> both suck right now. Like, there's no right and wrong. Like, it's all wrong. The way you were treating each other as human beings is bad. And I refuse to pick a side. And that's what got me into trouble was the fact that I refused to pick a side. And that's when I realized I didn't have to. Um, yeah. And to all my mixed people out there, you don't have to. You can if you feel that you identify more with one culture than the other. You can, but you don't have to. Um, because you mm-hmm. don't need to deny 50% of yourself. That's absolutely ridiculous that anybody would ever ask you to do that. And, and that's hurtful. And so that you don't have to. And so in this whole feud, like it was so bad that there were like, they brought in like counselors and had us sit in like discussion groups and like all this stuff. Like it was so bad that there was, there was like so much going on and it was, it was ridiculous. And it was very overwhelming for me. Um, And it was it was just not good. And so it was bringing up a lot of hurts from the past. I didn't really realize I hadn't like dealt with yet. Things like that little girl who told me my family was wrong and other things that people mm-hmm. had said that were just not okay. And, um, and so going through all of that, I wrote a blog post that just kind of talked through my experience as a mixed kid and why I would, continue to identify as biracial and not as one or the other 
and I brought in a few examples of things that were going on in the department. I never used the department's name. I never told the, I never put in the blog post what school I went to. I never used anyone's names. It's all anonymous. And, and honestly, the article is not written with any hostility towards any of these people because I understand that most of these things that are said are said out of ignorance. And I don't fault, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily fault, I do fault some of them because they know better. But some people I know, I know when people say things out of ignorance and when they say things out of hatred, I know the difference. And so, um, and I, there was a piece in there about a student in the department who had said something to me and the department there. So, and, and it pissed off the black people in the department. They were pissed. The white people in the department who saw it were like, oh, cool. Like nice, nice post. Um, and then <laughs> that was like what I gathered from the few people who said a couple things. And then first of all, let's note that none of these black people followed me on any social media. So somebody showed them this and they got pissed all on their own. It's not like they followed me and like it was there, like they went and found it. And then someone yeah. tattled. We don't, I will never, I know who it was, but they took it to the department Um, There is a rule in the contract that we sign once we are assigned to the company that you cannot speak, like, you cannot say bad things about the department in social media. Mind you, this is not me degrading the department. This is not me saying that the department is bad. This is not me tearing down the system. This is me explaining that I have dealt with some things that kind of sucked in the department. And I never said which mm-hmm. department it was. I never said where I was. And, and honestly, if, if, this, if this certain student had not gone and told the faculty, they would never know. They would never have known I wrote this because they also don't have access yeah. to social media. So I get called in to a meeting with the head of the department at the time. She was, she's, when I, by the time I graduated, she was no longer there. Um, my thoughts on that are... Um, I won't say them, but um, (laughs) she was gone by the time I left, and let's just say that was good. And then um, one of my my faculty advisor at the time, and um, I was not particularly fond of either of these two people. And um, I get called in, and they were like, so um, it was brought to our attention – you wrote a, a blog post and I was like yes I did and what about it <laughs> and they were like yeah, we're gonna need you to take it down and I was like excuse me and they were like yeah we're gonna need you to take that down um, because see here in the contract it says you can't say anything bad about the department and I was like see no because I'm not speaking poorly of the department this happened to me in this building and it, this student whose name is not in here, no one will ever be able to figure out who it was. The only person who knows who did it is them. So if they read it and they feel guilty, then first of all, they know they did something wrong. Second off, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And they were like, but you, you're breaching your contract. And I was like, no, I'm not. And they were like, well, if people do enough research, they'll figure out what school you go to. And I was like, that's on them. I never said I have it. It's nowhere in my, in my blog that I go to that school, like that I go to this school. 
you also let me jump in you you also don't broadcast on your social media like a lot of people don't even think you go to that school they think you go to yeah no I, i i i am very like ambiguous with where I went to school because I was not proud of where I went to school and this is why (laughs) um my school (laughs) is not a school that I'm like I'm not fond of it at all if there was anybody who could have the least amount of school spirit it was me um I'm fond of the people that I met there I'm fond of like experiences I had but I'm that school is a jank system um (laughs) and um that's not to say I didn't have Um, amazing faculty that I love dearly who helped me through a lot if they ever listen to this you know who you are but like I wouldn't go back (laughs) I wouldn't do that like it it's just I my whole thing with when they asked me to do that I was stunned honestly because I was I knew I wasn't breaching the contract and I knew that they were just butthurt and I knew the only reason that they were bringing me in is because they a student had come to them and said that it was wrong because they were mad. And I knew that if I fought, I would win. And so like, I was willing to go to the president of the school with this because I knew I was right. And so, and I told them that I literally was like crying in this meeting because I was so hurt that they couldn't understand these two white women who are like, we get that you are hurt. And I was like, I don't think you do. I don't think you have ever been questioned on your identity. Like, I don't think how Mm -hmm. you have chosen to identify has been questioned in this way before. And not only have you not dealt with that, but you cannot sit here and tell me that you understand how I feel right now, sitting here talking to you guys being told that what I'm saying should be taken down because you don't like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a huge yeah. mistake white like, people make. <laughs> like, I get that it makes you uncomfortable, mm-hmm. my friend, but I'm not going to take, I'm not taking it back. <laughs> like, it happened. Yeah. And so by the end of that meeting, I basically, I, from everything it said, I was like, basically what I'm hearing is you guys don't like it and it makes you uncomfortable. But honestly, I have not broken my contract. And if you want to fight me on that, you can, but I'm not changing. I'm not taking it down. I'm not changing the article. I'm leaving it there. And if you want to deal with this, we can, but this meeting is pretty much done because I have nothing else to say. And they were like, well, we love you and we want to help. And I was like, no, you don't. You don't want to help. You don't want to understand because you're not right now. And so Mm -hmm. I left that meeting and it didn't get brought up again by them. They dropped it after that. And so, um, and then after that, I, I did receive some, um, not nice comments from some of the black students who were just like, I read your article and a few choice words. And I was like, not my fault that you, not my fault that you mean, <laughs> honestly, like maybe, yeah. and really the moral of that story was you have now been brought these issues and you're offended by the fact that somebody pointed them out and maybe, maybe what you should do instead of being offended and asking the one voice that's speaking out calmly about this, instead of muting that voice, you should probably start fixing the problem and then you won't have voices doing that anymore. That's, Mm -hmm. that's maybe where you should start. And Mm -hmm. 
Um, by the time I left, the the racial problem in the department had gotten better, but a lot of that just had to do with certain students leaving. Um, mm. But, I mean, it's neither here nor there um, at this point, but it was definitely an issue. And that's kind of where I realized my identity was as a biracial person because I hadn't really had to, like, full stop be like, I am this for a lot of, like, most of my life. So, because nobody had ever questioned it in that way before. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's horrible. And also, like, just from what I know of you and being biracial, you also almost got your citizenship. What the heck? <laughs> I did not say that, right? Citizenship mm. taken away yeah, from it was Sierra Leone. Not quite. See, and this is this is another thing, is that, like, I am a dual citizen, and... I am in in comparison to other Sierra Leoneans, I'm pretty white, you could say. <laughs> um, I recognize that I am very pale and that most Sierra Leone, I mean, Sierra Leone is a very small country. There are not a lot of biracial people who are bi like mixed with Sierra Leonean, like fifty percent Sierra Leonean. That's that's yeah, that's not that's not super common. And so Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's even less common for them to be, like, over there a lot, you know? And so mm-hmm. my mom took my passport to get renewed. My brothers are both darker than me. So there's that. She took all three of our passports to get yeah. renewed. They, she takes mine. And they're like, um, this kid is not Syrian. And she was like, excuse me? <laughs> and they were like, we're not renewing this. <laughs> She's not Syrian. Look at her. She's white. And my mom lost it. She was like, are you really going to look at me and tell me that my kid, who is literally Sierra Leonean, is not because she is too white for you? Like, you don't really get to do that. That's really not something you get to determine here at the passport agency. And she has to literally <laughs> fight them on it for, I think it took a while. Like she ended up having to like leave and come back and like, like she got the guy, the boys renewed and then she had to go back and get mine renewed later. Cause they were just fighting her on it so hard. And she was like, that is she was like ridiculous. This is like, what in the world that doesn't even make it like, it's obviously not logical. Anybody could hear that story and be like, hello. Like, I'm so sorry. Yeah, seriously. That, even, that doesn't even make sense. But, like, yeah. and that was another time where I was just, like, why, why does everyone have to question this? Like, why am I always being questioned? Because at least, at least when you're all black or all white, nobody's looking at you and being, like, no, you're not. Like, yeah. and with this whole yeah. thing that's come up in this last week, I have never been, I have never felt so, um, accepted like I've never had the black side of me so accepted before because before people would be like oh but you're 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 like mostly white and I was like well actually it's still 50 percent still 50 percent yeah and they'd be like oh well Mm -hmm. but you but you probably like identify as white and I was like no I don't like I don't because I I have mixed Mm -hmm. culture in my background I have like I have all of this so I was like like, this is the first time in literally my entire life where 
people have acknowledged the black side of me and and reached out to me without me having to scream it at them that I have like that I am black as well because I feel like I've had to just remind people all the time that I am not all white and that I do have pieces Mm -hmm. of me that matter that are black and African and so this is the first time that people have reached out to me without me having to like yell it from a roof and that's been like really encouraging Mm -hmm. for me yeah does it does it bother you when people obviously it bothers you when people question if you're black but does it bother you when people question if you're only black um it bought yeah it bothers me both ways like if they were like like mm-hmm. it like just it bothers me when people take out a piece of my identity and just assume that you know Mm-hmm. yeah do you feel like the color of your skin has affected your mental um, health only during that brief time my freshman and sophomore year because that definitely was right you're having an identity crisis it was very and like a lot of that was um connected to me being mixed so yes um I would say yes not Mm -hmm. most of my life no but yes at, at certain points yes it has yeah um and also like something I want to say like I know not everybody mm-hmm. has the same story that you do so just mm-hmm. keep that in mind yeah while listening to this I think Tiana has a very unique story and right but not everybody has the same experiences for sure yeah obviously um, we're not we're all here. different I'm not here sharing this no. because I expect everybody to be like I get that and I resonate like that's not that's not what this mm-hmm. is to close off what do you think white people can do to be anti-racist and to be educated and accept like accepting it well you can't teach no, yeah. acceptance really I mean I think it's to some extent a learned it, behavior. I think it's very, very yeah. hard to unlearn being unaccepting, though. It's very, because it becomes yeah, it, it yeah. becomes so it takes time. Um, what's the word? Yeah, it, it's like it second nature. Very, very hard to realize that you have these um, biases that are just built into you, um, and once they're mm-hmm. built in you first have to recognize that they're there. And that's, that's probably one of the hardest things. Mm. So many people, so many people will sit there and tell you, I'm not racist. I'm not biased. I don't think that. But that's not really true because you still cross the street when you saw that guy that was darker than you and made it, and it, like, you still did that. And that was an inherent bias that you, mm-hmm. you have ingrained in you and maybe you tell yourself it was for another reason, but it's really not. And so there's those kinds mm-hmm. of things that you just don't realize you're doing. And like, even I have them, like understanding that we all have them and they're there. And that that's probably mm. the first thing you have to do. Cause you can't fix something that you don't think is a problem for you. So yeah. understanding that maybe you need to like take a big, deep self-reflection and like figure out where you personally maybe have like had these 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 issues and these thoughts 
and then going back to why. And so it's a, it's a very big process. And I think self-educating is Mm -hmm. a big one, like doing your research, understanding where people are coming from, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, I know that nobody wants to sound dumb or uneducated, but, and sometimes maybe we don't have the, like, we don't have friends that we feel like we can ask, but, um, for anybody who does have questions, I, I'm here. And if I don't have the answers, I know people who do. Mm -hmm. So I can always just send you their way. Um, don't be afraid to ask questions, but don't, but ask them the right way. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, somebody about this. And I think understanding that you can't just like say it however you want to say it. <laughs> and try to go in with an open yeah. mind because you can ask a question and think you already know the answer. And it comes out, it comes across when you ask a question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think phrasing yeah. it the way that somebody asked me a question the other day was they were like, hey, I don't understand this. Here's the reasons that I, I'm feeling I disagree but can you explain it to me? Because I, I want to know if I actually disagree with this stance. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Let me explain. Yeah. And after our conversation, they were like, 100%, I get that. That makes sense. And like. Mm-hmm. You have to go in like knowing yes. you probably yeah. don't understand. And for right my answer. people yeah. of color who are being asked these questions right now, don't assume I had this conversation with my brother the other day was just don't assume they know they know it, all the things you expect them to know because they probably don't like even your really smart really woke mm-hmm. friends who are white are not gonna know half of the things that you already just think are second nature because you're like you've yeah. gone through all this so you think this way they don't think that way they could be the smartest person you've ever you've ever met but like they're still not going to think that way. And so you can't just get mad at them for not understanding because you expected them to know that already. So you got to, mm-hmm. yeah, you kind of have really to, good way just, to put under, it, yeah. like, just assume they don't know. And maybe they'd be like, Oh no, I, I do get that. And then you can like take it up a notch, you know, but just go into every conversation. Mm-hmm. Like it's the first time they're hearing about it. And, and that will, that will yeah, aid in that's good. with conversations like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. The last thing, this isn't a question. This is just something I saw on Instagram about like Christians and mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter and everything. And I'm I'm one hundred percent sure that you know this passion passage. This is um Luke fifteen. Um and just the Spark Notes version of this parable is there are 100 mm-hmm. sheep, but one goes missing. Jesus leaves the 99 and goes after the one. The 99 says, but what about us? Don't we matter? Of course, mm-hmm. but the 99 still matter. Right. But they're not the ones in danger. The one is. Mm-hmm. And that is literally <laughs> the entire point <laughs> of Black Lives Matter. And to, I mean, I don't know if anyone is listening to this who is out here Uh saying all lives matter. I don't know. But just open your ears to what your black Uh brothers and sisters are saying, especially if you're a believer. Something I kind of want (laughs) to, I know I said that was going to be the last question, but it's actually not. 
Um, I have like a few more things. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so kind of how like social media has mm-hmm. blown up this week about everything, which rightfully, mm-hmm. rightfully so. But do you think it's helpful for people to post? Do you think it's fake? Um, what do you think I... the line is? What's too much? Because I've had like mm-hmm. my white friends come to me and ask me like, because mm-hmm. they yeah, don't really yeah. know what to do. Because, like, like, because it does seem like you're not uh-huh. an ally if you don't post sometimes. Or mm-hmm. if you're posting, like, oh, I'm at the lake. When mm-hmm. all this yeah, is you don't want to seem insensitive, but you also <laughs> like, don't want to not say anything, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I exactly. It is helpful. I think that the, social media is the most easily accessible tool we all have. Like, it is there and right now we are like having it taken over by this and I think I think it is ridiculous for people to stand there and be like you posted that you had a good lunch today how insensitive like I think that's absurd Mm -hmm. (laughs) like if you are really really happy about your lunch you can you can say that that's okay but also I think that like understanding the climate that we're in and being aware of that. And maybe that makes you decide, I don't really want to post other things right now. Maybe that's how you take it. That's fine. That's okay. I think it's yeah. also okay to not feel that's like that that's necessary. Um, I think that there's a lot of gray in this. And I think a lot of people are taking it as a very black and white thing. And it's not. Um, I do mm-hmm. think that posting helps when you see something that you resonate with. For me, the way that I'm doing it is when I see something I resonate with and I'm like, oh, that was helpful. Oh, that was informative. I, re- I go ahead and repost it yeah. because if I thought that, then I know other people would think that too. And, and, and that just like mm-hmm. helps yes, that's how I'm doing it. education. Like you're just, we are here, like these posts should be educational. Like you should be helping in some way, just mm-hmm. like, like, don't post if you're like, oh, everyone's posting. Let me post all this. Like, don't do that. Like, don't like if you don't <laughs> yeah. connect with Retweet. the post. Yeah. Don't repost it. Like, don't do that. Be 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 um mm-hmm. genuine. Like, it's like nobody wants nobody wants your fakeness. So if you if you actually don't no. agree with this, then don't post about it. Don't because I'd rather you start asking questions and being like, I don't think I agree with this. And I would like to have a discussion about it. Then just post it because you see everyone else's like, yeah, this is no. not about like following the crowd. It's about right. fighting for what you believe. is So right. I think, and I do think yeah. that posting is a super, super easy way to get your thoughts out there and help others see the right thing to do. Um, but I think there are other there are other ways. So if mm-hmm. you're not a social media person, don't feel guilty because you're not on social media posting every five minutes about how you can do this and this and this. If there's a different way you want to be an ally, then do that. Like if you feel called to, you have gone to a couple of protests, you are handing out water bottles. Maybe you're not walking in the protest. Maybe you're standing on the sidewalk handing out snacks. Like whatever it is you feel like resonates with you to be an ally, that's then that's okay because mm-hmm. – I think people are mistaking being an ally with being a leader. And that's, that's not everyone is born a leader Mm. and not everyone is called to lead the masses. 
And so if you are somebody who is a follower and you do better doing things as a follower, that's okay. Like we can't all be the activist leaders that are out here like doing like all, we can't all do that because that's too many voices. So it's mm-hmm. okay if you aren't doing everything under the sun. You can't do everything under the sun. So that's okay. Yeah. For mm-hmm. sure. Okay. What else Honestly, do you have to say? Like, I don't even know. Like, just, I guess at this point, I'm so used to saying things and not being heard obviously my friends listen to me and the people who care listen but now I'm having so many people who didn't seem to care suddenly be willing to listen and so like and I know that I am not the only person of color feeling that way that all of a sudden their voice is heard and so yeah I just like like thank you for listening like if you listen to this whole interview just thank Mm. you for listening because um like I want to share and I want to help and I want to educate. And I've always felt very strongly about being an advocate um, for things like this. And so if you are listening to me and others, thank you for doing that. And like that is doing your part. Mm -hmm. If you are just literally sitting there learning right now, thank you for that. Like you are being an ally in that. So yeah. Yeah. And, yeah that's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep that's it <laughs> okay well i hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and i hope y'all learned something a few things a lot of things and i hope this i hope this pushes y'all to learn more and to educate yourselves more um mm. and to empathize <laughs> but yeah i i don't really know what else to say honestly um We love you all. Thank you so much for listening. We are going to be posting a list of resources on our Instagram page by the time that this is out. So make sure to follow us there at 20.something.podcast. Most of my personal posts are um, just encouraging in the topic. Um, They're not necessarily like super informative, but I think that um, some people have found them to be valuable in some way. So you can go follow me there um, mm-hmm. on Instagram at tiana.kangaroo because um, I'm just trying to be a light in this situation. And so the things that I have been trying to post mm-hmm. have been um, just more along the lines of encouraging those who are trying and doing their best to keep doing that. So, mm-hmm. Okay, we guys. Love we love y'all. Bye. Cheers to being 20-something. Hello? Hi, can you hear me now? Wait, hang on. Hang on, hang on. Why is this being so dramatic right now? Okay, say something. Hi. Okay, you're really quiet today. Oh. But it might not come out that way on the recording, so maybe we just leave it. Okay. Yeah, because I feel like I never know how anything actually sounds. No, because it it doesn't sound the way that it comes out for us. Like, I don't know. I need a little prop. You need need a thong? (laughs) No, a prop to, like, put my phone up so it's, like, equal. This is so ratchet. Whatever. 
Oh, now you sound a lot louder. Oh, okay. So I guess you were just far away? Question mark? Maybe. Question mark? Let me get my other props. I have to split my medication. Oh, my God. In half, but it's just chilling. Okay, wait. Hang on. Mary Hannah pops pills. The next episode. (laughs) Okay. Okay, yeah. My contraption falls. Okay, can you hear Garrett okay? Yeah, I think you had the mic, like, like, it, like, muffled or something. Probably. What's that? Your case, maybe? What side is the mic on? Do you know? It's up right there. Mm-hmm. Okay. For what? Never mind. Okay. Okay. Let's just hop on in. Okay. All right. So, Garrett, we're going to do the intro after, so don't get confused. Okay. Okay, so. <laughs> He's like, this is not how you It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay Garrett tell us a little bit about yourself like what do you do where you're from okay so I'm a graphic design major um I I mean our professor would like to argue that it's not major anyways besides the point graphic design um I'm from Maryville Tennessee which is right near Knoxville um and I'm a swimmer and designer here at school yeah. How old are you? I'm 21. I just turned 21. Oh my god. Ooh, crazy. <laughs> um, have you always wanted to do art? Yeah, so it was funny. When you sent me these questions, um, I was thinking about like, like I always have wanted to do art. Mm-hmm. And so back when I was in kindergarten, um, we would go to like like church service Mm -hmm. and I would like I would always draw people sitting in the service and then also in kindergarten um my teacher asked me to draw a dinosaur and so ones with the long necks uh like uh, you know like little foot from Land Before Time. Yeah, 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 I can't remember what they're called, but yes. The thing off the, the good that dinosaur. Only eat grass. Yeah. It, or like the tall trees. Yeah. yeah so I drew so one of those. Right <laughs> <laughs> but um, I drew one of those and it actually looked like the dinosaur. <laughs> and so then my kindergarten teacher asked me to draw the White House and I drew it like perfectly. <laughs> like as best on. as like a, like, kindergartner like six-year-old could do but there's actually right. a prodigy that yeah that's, so, so basically i'm a prodigy that's all yeah. not trying to hype myself up but you guys know <laughs> <laughs> and from then on it was just and then on yeah i just i was kind of like in and out of it through middle school and then high school kind of like reconnected for a while there, I thought I wanted to be a dentist. Glad that oh, didn't gosh. work out. Oh, that's um, a sharp turn. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, back to my roots now. So we're good. But how did you get into graphic design? Because that hasn't always been a popular, like, art field to go in. Like, a lot of people don't really yeah. know a lot about it. So um, in high school, when I was kind of like, I guess, like, developing my, like, style of drawing and painting, um, it was very graphic, and it still is. And by that, I mean, you know, it was, like, bold colors. Like, there are, like, principles of design or whatever, Mm -hmm. and then there's, like, elements of art. 
And like my artwork always followed the principles of design more than the elements of art. Mm. And so, you know, I, I'm really like, I always focus on using like line work really heavily and, you know, contrast and like these um, prospects of graphic design. And I was doing that in my drawings. Mm -hmm. Like even if I am just using a pencil, like I'm making sure that all those things go into my artwork. And so when it came time for college, I was asking um, my, not professor, my um, teacher, in high school, I was like, I don't know what I should do. I don't know if I should do illustration or if I should do graphic design. And she was like, she was like, you should do graphic design because like, that's like naturally like what comes to you when you're creating something. And so then I kind of like took that advice and kind of listened to her. And um, then it just kind of ended up unfolding that Mm -hmm. way. Yeah, that's really interesting because I feel like at least for me, like I graphic design wasn't even on my radar. But right, what <laughs> <laughs> radar? And like my dad does graphic design work, and I knew what it was. But I was like, I I always felt like it wasn't as artistic as like being a drawing and painting major. And like now that I'm in it, I'm like, this is so much better <laughs> because you can get away with like you can bend all like the rules and technicalities. Mm -hmm. Because in drawing and painting, like, a lot of the times, there has to be a reason why something is there. And, like, we always talk about in graphic design how something is there just for the sake of it looking good. And you can't always get away with that in other forms of art. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's super interesting, like, from the dancer side of things. And then also, like, as somebody who I I do, like, sketch art. And, like, I've never been, like good at graphic art like <laughs> that's never been something that I like I used to get so bothered in my art class because I had like friends who would just doodle and like come up with really cool looking things that just like they fit into like the graphic design art aspect and like I just I would get so annoyed because I couldn't doodle like I, I didn't know how to doodle and like all of the art that I did was very much like I did like sketch portraits and stuff and that's like all like that's like it and so like hearing that like I I don't know much about that and so that's really cool hearing that because in dance and in the whole like whatever world that that is you have to you have to kind of have you do like they there are like different styles and like certain styles there's like there is that like weird like you have to have a reason that this goes here and this person leaves the stage there and then there's other styles of dance where they're like oh it doesn't matter you can put it wherever you want because that's what Mm -hmm. you like and that's where it goes you know yeah so that's like cool hearing that that is in other forms of art too yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and like the thing is is like one thing that kind of like being older and like getting into art as like a career and you know and just in general as like a passion of mine like you I think that learning my discipline so like graphic design and drawing and painting that's like my niche Mm -hmm. but like when you start to like delve into it and like research it and try to like improve yourself and make yourself better in your own craft 
you start to like appreciate like the other arts more so like you know like everybody makes fun of like theater kids and like like whatever (laughs) like it sounds funny but like but like genuinely that is a craft and it Mm -hmm. is a very delicate and like meticulous craft oh yeah and like I have I'm not saying I'm like going and like watching recordings of like Hamilton on my computer at home, but like (laughs) it gives me like an appreciation for like all the hard work and all the effort and all the um, like the message that's being conveyed in these like other works like dance and theater and um, like whatever else, like it just kind of makes you take a step back and appreciate that more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Tiana? Yes. Do you want to ask the next one? Oh, sure. Hang on. I have to find my list. <laughs> this out. Um, okay, so how do you think being an artist has shaped you as a human? And and if that doesn't make sense, I can explain the question more, but we'll just start there. <laughs> um, like the same sort of thing. I think it just made me appreciate like um like the the time and effort it takes to like be creative and like both of you guys I'm sure well I I mean I know for a fact that like being creative like whether it's dance Tiana or you graphic design Mary Hannah um like it can be absolutely draining like 100% Tiana yours is more like physically draining than like ours is um because you know like we sit at a desk on our (laughs) laptops but like you're in the studio dancing um whatever and like it just honestly again cracking down and like kind of like finding my passion in art and then like giving myself like surrendering myself to like perfect it to my best ability Mm. has made me like appreciate other crafts like I mean even like business majors like I look Mm. at them and I'm like you guys like have given yourselves to like learn about like business management and stuff like that and I'm like that's insane like it takes so much time to like master that and get good at it and then you go out and you're you're like what's the term like given to the wolves I don't know yeah, what, what? Oh, I don't know. you're like wolves. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah. like you ha- <laughs> sorry that was so dumb anyway um, but you have to like go out in the real world and then like make a name for yourself yeah. and make a living out of that mm-hmm. and like so I think just art and my experience with it has made me appreciate other people's crafts and careers a whole lot more mm-hmm. yeah I feel like that can't always be like the same for other like jobs and stuff and at least for other majors like a science major for example I feel like I have this conversation with a lot of my sciencey friends and one of my friends was saying that before she got to college, like she didn't think an art major was like a legit thing. She yeah. thought it was like stupid and like they didn't do anything. 
but she said that being friends with me and other R majors, she realized how much effort it is and how draining it truly is. And I was like, well, thanks. Stop giving us crap. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's something that dancers for sure also deal with just like, Mm -hmm. because people will be like, oh you're majoring in dance like like how does that even function like I think they they think it's even more bizarre than hearing art majors because it's more common to hear that and like dance is just something people like don't realize is something you can be educated in I guess and so yeah. they're yeah. like wait they even have that and I'm like yes it's like a thing <laughs> like like mm-hmm. we spend like so many hours like I wrote a thesis like we do actual schoolwork like we are actually being educated it's a it's an actual thing I promise mm-hmm. yeah and like being an artist is more of a career path now than it has been mm-hmm. and there's more opportunities to have a nine-to-five job like not everyone is like a freelancer yeah and I don't know I think it's I think the art world is changing in that sense and that mm-hmm. with social media, we're gaining more recognition, Yeah, which is so different. Like, I feel like now more than ever, you can sell artwork and you can make money from art because of social media and because of people's platforms and stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. Which, which is so interesting, honestly, because I know this is, this segment is called starving artist, but like truly, I think that's what people think of. When they think of, like, an artist, like, like they're not going to make any money. And, yeah. I mean, yeah, that can be the case. Yeah. <laughs> that is true sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we just hope not. Yeah. Right. No, 100%. And, like, like you just, again, I know, I, I'm sorry if I keep repeating myself. But, like, it just really genuinely, like, makes me appreciate, like, not only my people in my career and other artists and you know people who are doing business and science and whatever but it just like makes me appreciate like the road that has been paved for me like in art and so like yeah like 20 years ago it was not like easy to be like self-made like and you can't like 20 years ago you didn't have Redbubble you didn't have Mm -hmm. Society6 you didn't have these websites where you could like put your work out there and then like gain recognition Mm. like it was through your um your like local like sphere you know Mm -hmm. like you had to kind of like put your name out there you had to get good where you were and then kind of build your reputation from there but now like we're so interconnected with art and then you know just like the internet in general that you can like make a name for yourself like in somewhere completely different in the world and Mm -hmm. so like art has become way more um like global yeah and like you know you can like research you know mary hannah and i had a period where we were just like obsessed with japanese graphic design (laughs) Yeah. And like, but like, that's crazy because you can like find these artists from Japan. Yeah, yeah. I'll probably never meet those people. I would love They're to. They're all dead now. Yeah. Much <laughs> you're looking at. Yeah, but you can learn from them, and mm. it's it, like it's amazing, like how interconnected the art world has become just because of like something like the internet. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. Oh gosh, I had something I was gonna say. Oh, I feel like. 
people have a greater appreciation for art now too mm-hmm. which and I think I do too after taking um Garrett and I <laughs> we had to take history of graphic design lovely class mm-hmm. um and I feel like after that class and during it even though <laughs> we both had mono during that class, <laughs> oh actually. gosh good times but I feel like that class made me realize the history of graphic design because I was like I feel I feel like it started in the 20th century but it didn't it's been around for so long and same with dance like that's yeah I mean been around for ages and I think it's crazy that I don't know like after studying it kind of like you're saying understanding the process of stuff you understand to appreciate it more and even in high school for me I was like eh, I don't know if I want to do art and I came in as an English major because I wasn't sure about the art thing and now that I'm in it I have a greater appreciation for like my own work and other people's stuff just because once you know the time and like how draining it it is like after those three-hour studios I feel like my brain is gone and you just I don't know it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but other than, like, the Japanese graphic designers, what else has influenced you in your art? And not even just, like, now, but in the past. Has it changed? Has it stayed the same? 100% has changed. So, like, high school, um, there was this artist I have followed, like, ever since I was, like, a sophomore in high school. Her name is Audra Eclair, and her work is very whimsical and, uh, like, I don't really know how to describe it in, like, sophisticated terms, so, like, just bear with me, but, like, it's very, like, flowy and um, it's calm and it's vibrant at the same time, like, all these different things, and so I followed, like, her, and she's an illustrator, um, but I followed her through um my art career and I've definitely like tried to like imitate like her style in some of my pieces um and like that has been a really big influence for me with illustration drawing painting whatever and then um like you were talking about that history of graphic design class we took um there is one, there was one like chapter where we were talking about like typefaces mm. and my favorite typeface of all time. Everyone's favorite typeface. Is Futura. <laughs> and like. Chef's kiss. <laughs> it is a beautiful, beautiful typeface. And I was just using it like willy-nilly like you know it looks clean it's nice whatever okay and also it's geometrically perfect too yeah it's so it's just anyways it's it's gorgeous (laughs) this is the nerdiest thing i've ever talked about (laughs) when i talk about typeface i feel like such a loser (laughs) yeah i felt like a loser learning it until i like really appreciated it but besides the point um so like learning about that um Like, the sort of, like, that was, like, a very, like, mathematical approach to graphic design. Like, they were making sure everything was, like, geometric and, like, perfect. 
when you looked at it, like to make this typeface. And so not necessarily like, like knowing the process and like figuring out like, oh, like these, these people spent days just trying to figure out what's the best way to like write out the letter G, like Mm -hmm. stuff like Mm -hmm. that. It's kind of made me take a step back and be like, okay, I can be patient with my work and let myself like kind of, you know, solve the puzzle of like, where does this go? Does this look right? Um, And it's been like super eye opening to like how I approach graphic design and just art in general now. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's really like just hearing you talk. I don't think about typeface, whatever (laughs) those are. I mean, like I I think about them in the fact that I know I'm supposed to like. Yeah, I know what font I'm supposed to write stuff in for like essays. That's kind of the extent of like font knowledge that I have but like I I, until this very moment have not (laughs) thought about or um, I did not know that Futura is geometrically perfect and so like so and and I just think that's really cool like somebody did design those and that's kind of interesting and now I kind of want to go research that just because that's kind of cool and not something you really think about I think it happens a lot where art is so it's so it's it's such a base for like existence and people don't realize that like the like I mean the one period of time where art was completely put out and like ignored and not utilized was during the dark ages and that's like literally why like one of the biggest reasons why it was the dark ages was because there was no art and it didn't come back out until like <laughs> Tiana we just heard a so loud. yes yeah <laughs> it's welcome to New York um <laughs> yeah no but like I don't think people real and and it same goes for dance but like all of these art forms are so essential to like human like to society and to functioning as humans like art is so important and I don't think people realize how much you need to know and how educated you need to be to be creating art that is doing that and like creating that like base for society to kind of like stand on like artists do a lot and people don't people are a little bit oblivious to that I think Mm mm-hmm yeah. And you know what's crazy is like I I guess this was more like freshman year of college but um you know like you're like it's really easily accessible to go like grab some paint, grab a brush and like make something that looks good. Um mm-hmm. but like like you never realize like the impact and like there's never been one like political movement that has not like had like notable and like very recognizable like artwork Mm, with it and so like yeah like I mean you look at like Rosie the Riveter like 
obviously like not like a real person actually maybe she was I don't know anyway besides she probably had like a model for her yeah <laughs> but like that is a very like notable like artwork yeah and then right. Uncle Sam like these pictures of Uncle uh-huh. Sam and like stuff like that like it's all very like um like notable and it you know it caused like not necessarily like all the time but like some of these artworks are like the basis of like a change Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so like it's very inspiring and I don't think I'm some like Picasso or anything (laughs) but like to know that like something like I create on a whim could possibly like inspire like change like that's that's Mm -hmm. not necessarily like a weight I put on my shoulders all the time but it's something that like is like well why am I creating this like why am I making Mm -hmm. this what's my point and so yeah I don't know like I love that you said that yeah and even I've made stuff before and this happens all the time and somebody will notice something in my piece and be like oh wow I really like how you did that and you won't even mean to do something and then it's there and you're like oh yeah yeah I totally meant for that Mm -hmm. to happen Mm -hmm." and yeah I think that's really interesting and even like in history like we we study like propaganda and stuff and we would like analyze like pictures of propaganda from like the women's rights movement in um Europe Mm -hmm. there's like the feminists and the anti-feminists and like the different posters that they had from like um when was that like the 60s or was that before that? Um, was that like- it was before that. It was definitely it was, Yeah. It was like, that. yeah. And it was like in the, I feel like it was earlier than that even. Like, it was like late 1800s, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they would, <laughs> like, the anti feminists would make a poster and then the feminists would clap back at them with something that replicated that, but then they changed it to make it mm-hmm. theirs. And that happens in art all the time now. Like, yeah. People will remake something and make it into something that is like fitting to their fitting like, to their agenda. times and yeah. stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, like that's like, and this is probably like a stupid reference, but like, <laughs> like that's literally like the entire basis of like meme culture now. Like, <laughs> yeah, literally, like how no, but it is. like you literally like take someone else's image or someone else's post or something and then you just make it yours and you make it stupid you make Mm -hmm. it meaningful like whatever it's a meme but like it's literally like that exchange of ideas Mm -hmm. and like creating something new and adding on to and taking away from like this sort of like pool of ideas yeah and it's Mm -hmm. like it, and it's funny, like, I, I love my, I love a good meme, but... Like the Gossip Girl ones. Yeah, <laughs> we were looking at Gossip Girl memes before we started recording, but... Um, uh, like, it's just, like, it's, it's very interesting, and it's very beautiful to know that, like, these ideas can be passed around, um, and sort of, like, these ideas get exchanged mm-hmm. so easily... And I, I think now more than I've ever seen in my life, um, I think that is becoming like more and more important mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, I think so too. Um, do you feel like it's uh, 
more important to create with meaning or just to create? Because I know a lot of artists have a different opinion about that. Yeah. Um, so I think if you are feeling something and you grab a pen, you grab some paper and you scribble out your feelings, more power to you, like 100%. Like get your feelings out there. Like art is meant to be cathartic and expressive. So like, go for it. Like if you don't have a real meaning, like, like I know I've had plenty of times where I'm just like ticked off and I just go in my room, close the door, turn on some music, scribble my heart out. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but I also think it is a like very good um, indicator of like discipline and like can can I make my way in the art world? If you can sit down and like discipline yourself to making something very very intentional Mm -hmm. and detailed and precise Mm -hmm. so I think I think my answer to that is just like do what you want like do what you want with art Mm -hmm. like make it intentional make it stupid like yeah whatever you want whatever you're feeling Mm -hmm. there's like (laughs) for a hot second I thought about doing art therapy because it's been so therapeutic for me to just like pick up a pen or whatever and just like draw how I feel or literally just Mm -hmm. new lines and just you know like and that's a universal thing like people say to get coloring books when you're stressed Mm -hmm. that's helpful and it is but I do think there is a level of precision and discipline that I think we've learned a lot in college absolutely oh yeah because you're forced to create even when you can't and that's been really interesting for me because I don't know, like, and I think I do better when I have multiple things going on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. Because you can't just focus on the one thing because then you'll get ideas from your other stuff as well. Exactly. Which all very interesting, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think that like being being a collegiate artist is like very different than being an art and I can say this now I've been out of school for like two months now and I not even (laughs) I don't even know it feels like longer because I left school and in the middle of COVID and so it feels like I haven't been in school for a lot longer than it actually has been but just being in the art world in college and like being forced to create when you don't really have the (laughs) creative capacity is a whole different realm of being a creator and like having to do all of that I'm not I'm not saying I would do it again but <laughs> I think it <laughs> I think it is really really good at the end of the day like when you finish it all I think that it does push you beyond what you think you're capable of creating sometimes I mean sometimes you crash and burn and like you don't ever want to like repeat what you did but you know that's also part of learning but then also now being out of college and not having anyone to answer to except for myself and the people who follow me on like my platforms that I have which is really just Instagram and this podcast and 
like being able to put out what speaks to me and what I feel like most strongly about is I still, I have this, this internal thing that just tells me everything I create has to have a purpose and like has to speak to others as well as just to myself. And I think the only time that I like allow myself to just move how I want to move or create whatever I want to create is when it's just in my apartment or whatever, just Mm. turning on music and moving or, you know, taking pictures for whatever reason I feel like taking pictures for, but I don't know. It's just having, not having a grade on your art is so freeing. And I feel like I create better when I don't have a grade on my art, which is weird. It shouldn't really Mm -hmm. do that, but it does. I feel like I can't be the only one who feels like that, but yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. I feel more free when I know I'm not doing it for school. Like we have to turn in sketchbooks in our drawing classes and I never feel like I can put what I want in there because she's going to see it. And I'm like, but this is personal in Mm -hmm. a way like yeah and if and like I don't I'm not like besties with my professor and so (laughs) especially that one yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so it's like you don't if you don't have that comfort with them then it's like you're not gonna want to share every part of your art and it's it's definitely more not free yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm like, um, one of the like biggest struggles that I've had, and to be fair, like, I feel like most of the professors and the teachers I had in high school and in college have been very, for the most part, very, um, like, objective with art. So they give me a project, they say, you need to work on this, work on this. Mm-hmm. So I do it. Um, but, you know, one thing that I think is just, like, and I would willingly say this to, like, any art professor's face, but, like, (laughs) I, I think it is very almost inappropriate and, um, like, I don't know, just not, it doesn't sit right with me if you take a piece of artwork subjectively. Like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, like mm-hmm. when it's, you know, a message, like if someone was like, oh, convey a message in this, then yeah, take it subjectively. But when it's like, you need to work on shading, don't grill the fact that I drew someone like half naked or something, you know, mm-hmm. like, don't be subjective about it, be objective. And you can be subjective outside of class. Don't grade, like, subjectively. Oh, my gosh. Literally, you just, like, say louder for the people in the back. Oh, my gosh. Like, (laughs) I think so many people relate to that. Oh, they could they could use somebody telling them that. And, I mean, people do tell them that. But they they truly, I think that's one thing about artists that is really incredibly infuriating is that you could tell an artist especially if they're a professor and they're like what 40 and they're like I know this much and you need to do this and you're like but that's totally like subjective opinion and you're not actually telling me what needs to be worked on in this piece 
that I'm creating, you're just saying you didn't like the costume I picked because that's not your favorite color. And yeah. And I mean, <laughs> that grinds my gears, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's just like not fair. Like you literally can't do that just because you essentially, if you're a professor, you literally cannot put your own personal uh, like feelings into somebody mm-hmm. else's artwork. Yes. Like I had um, a professor freshman year, she who shall not be named. Um, <laughs> anyways, all of my friends at school know exactly who I'm talking about because every single day I would come back from my drawing class and just like chew her out. Oof. But um, she, her projects were very like open-ended. And so she would be like, draw a portrait. Okay, so I go home. I drew a portrait of one of my best friends back home and um, it comes to critique day and I used markers to do my work. That's like my favorite, like traditional media. Mm-hmm. Um, like I love working with markers. And so I use markers and I go in for the critique and she like, as I'm standing in front of a class of, 30 like drawing one students she says this piece wasn't supposed to be in color and I'm like okay well like I was never told that so like is is that an issue and she was like yes because it's like like in my style of drawing it's just very like vibrant colorful whatever and so it was a vibrant colorful portrait Mm -hmm. of my friend And she was like, this is just too busy. It's too much. You ruined it with color, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And says that to me. And then she, what takes me off was she said, "Um, this will never, this will never be in a gallery. Like, this will never be in a gallery. And then um, I was spiteful. And so I got out of class and I framed the artwork and then it got in our next gallery. Yes. (laughs) And so. (laughs) Why is this like, I feel like I'm like, you're my spirit animal. I've just that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you just like, I think with art, you can't be so subjective all mm-hmm. the time. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. it was a portrait. It looked like the girl I was trying to draw. Mm-hmm. So take with that what you will. If right. you have an opinion about the colors I used, then tell me after class. Don't right. grade me on that. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. It's just stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think really it's hard being so an art major. <laughs> no, but, but it is. I think that when professors, and you said you were a freshman, and I know that a lot of freshman dance majors deal with this as well. Just like you get these subjective, um, and and with us, it's like stuff about our bodies, even too. They're like, well, we don't really like the way that Horrible. your leg does yeah. that, and we're like, right, but I can't change the way my leg does that. And so, and like, it's not even a technical thing. It's just like a personal aesthetic that they have an issue mm-hmm. with. And so we're like, I'm doing what you're asking me to do. I cannot change my bone structure for you. So sorry. And it, it, it really <laughs> like, it shuts down the artist in a lot of ways that are hard to get over in, in later years. Like I know mm-hmm. people who got shut down like that their freshman year and literally never got over it like it just stunted their artistic growth so much because they couldn't 
they couldn't Hello? get past stuff like that. And then because they let the professors oh. affect them that way, the professors just kind of... Sister, you're going to have to rewind. Oh. It, like, froze on you. Oh, no. You After you said about how they didn't get over it. Oh, okay. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, anyway, I'll just... Yeah, so they just kind of never got over it and it stunted their growth as artists later on in the program because they were so concerned with certain professors' subjective opinions of their work or, or of their bodies that they like couldn't create what they really felt like they wanted to create. And so it just like, <laughs> it just kind of ruins the artist. Yeah, exactly. Like, you do that. 100%. Yeah. And there's a difference between someone not being good and not mm-hmm. liking their work. There's a huge difference. Yes. Yep. Huge difference. And you know what's crazy okay. is that I mean like my I beat myself up a lot um especially in high school because by no means whatsoever was I the most talented artist at my high school. I was very flattered and uh like grateful that people saw my you know talent uh, and so you know looking at colleges I looked at SCAD which is um the Savannah College mm. of Art and Design I went on a trip there to check it out and um one thing that my art teacher in high school always told me and I'm telling you like on a daily basis she would tell me this she would say comparison is the Mm -hmm. thief of all joy and so I went to that school I went into the illustration building and it clicked into place I was like this is not the school for me it is too competitive I was like I will literally like Mm -hmm. sit in my dorm room crying all day I come here because there's so many talented people there yeah and like like you genuinely just like you know it's good to compare compare your skill set to others and try and work to get better Mm -hmm. and I don't think any artist Mm -hmm. is ever going to be the best yeah there's no best artist you know yeah I agree and I like Tiana I'm sure you're the same way with dance like there's just there's no best artist and so um each person has their own skill set and they develop that through their entire career. And um, so, like, you just can't let other people's expectations of you determine your expectations yes. of yourself. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And it's even, like, T and I talk about this a lot. Like, I do better Mm -hmm. when I'm not surrounded by the same kind of people and swimming Mm -hmm. and art and literally whatever I have to have differentiation (laughs) between my friends because if I go in if I put myself in one thing and I say I am a swimmer I am an Mm -hmm. artist like that is all of me then it ruins me and it's all I think about and it becomes my only identity. And, like, that's not the case. Like, we're all a lot of different things. And, you know, you just can't do that to yourself because it really does, like, mess with Mm -hmm. your head and how you perform. Because if you just hone on that, then 
and if you fail then like yeah. your world I think that's, will literally that's crumble. something that I wrote yeah. about my thesis was it's very important to differentiate between being a human and being an artist and the layers that come with that um and then being a dancer on top of that because mm-hmm. I am a human before I'm an artist and I'm an artist before I'm a dancer and that's the order they go in for me and I think that sometimes artists switch them around and they say without art I am not me and I'm not a human and they like they almost like dehumanize themselves in putting their whatever they are as their Mm -hmm. identity and so for me something that really just I had to put it in my thesis because I was like this is so important if you want to understand my thought process and my creative process behind the piece that I did for my senior piece, I was like, you have to understand that at the root of everything, it is human and not, it is my humanity that makes this and not, not the dancer or the artist that made this piece. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good. This has been a good chat. I feel like this has been a good chat. (laughs) you. We're so philosophical and woke. We're so deep. <laughs> Do you have any closing thoughts? Um, I don't know. I I just feel like, um, I hope like whoever listens to this, like, if you're not an artist, um, I hope you, if you haven't already had a sort of understanding, I hope you understand that like, art is not, you know, the (laughs) crayon drawings you did in, like, kindergarten. (laughs) Like, it is deeper, and it's it's much deeper and much more sophisticated and much more, um, like, intense than, like, the surface level, like, Mm. poster or finished artwork or whatever you see shows. Like, there is a lot of thought. There is a lot of um, deliberation between yourself and your colleagues, like as to how something is done. And then it is mm-hmm. an attempt to do the best we can. Mm-hmm. And so um, I hope people just have a, a nice understanding of that. <laughs> what he's trying to say is, <laughs> is that people should We are valuable. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to disagree with that. (laughs) Okay, well, it was lovely having you on. Where can we find you? Um, You can find my art page on Instagram at g.2.design. Okay. So, yeah. If you want (laughs) to give me a follow, I would appreciate it. Like, subscribe. <laughs> okay, well, it's yeah, been lovely. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. It's You're been welcome. a blast. Anytime. <laughs> All right, y'all. Okay, leave the room now so we <laughs> can do the intro. <laughs> Bye. All right, thank you again. <laughs> Two deals. Bye. All right. Okay, T. Yeah. Let's make the intro right, short because this is too long. I don't want to cut anything out. Okay. Hey guys, what's up? And, and welcome I'm back Hannah. or two twenty something. I'm Mary Hannah. Wait, why are you laughing? <laughs> and today we have my <laughs> because Garrett's <laughs> just standing here looking at me. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so in case you couldn't tell, we have a guest today. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm leaving the room. I'm leaving the room. Okay, goodbye. Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> He's creating a ruckus. Okay. <laughs> and today I have one of my friends on. His name is Garrett and he is a college student and a graphic designer we kind of all just had a discussion about art what graphic design is like and everything in between and how deep art really is you know um Um, so yeah well do we have any updates i'm just gonna throw this out there shameless self-plug but it's not really it's not even for myself because oh my god like (laughs) this is like my me using what i have to amplify others but I just want to throw out there if there are any dancers um, of color that listen to this podcast that somehow missed it on my Instagram or something like that um, I am currently also in New York um, which is maybe nobody that listens but I'm just gonna if you know anyone um, I am doing a project currently a photography project in the New York area um that just highlights dancers of color and shares their stories so if you are a dancer of color no dancer of color in the new york new jersey whatever area um send them my way uh you can dm me or you can just send a dm to our instagram at 20 dot something dot podcast and i'll message you from there um yeah that's kind of my update i just started working on that um this week and i've already got some people lined up um but the more the merrier so that's my update (laughs) yeah do it (laughs) we are not he just opened the door and peeked his head in anyways no come on um i don't really think i have any updates (gasps) other than I'm going to have yes. my website up soon, and I'm going to be selling some stuff, hopefully, Ooh. once I find a printer. so I expect some prints. I will, um, we will announce specifically, that. Specifically, um, prints that maybe... I will. Um, I don't know. Just prints that are, are personal <laughs> and meaningful. I want them for my apartment. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> Honestly, send me like, dude. Like, I kind of what you want. Like, I can make some. Hair. I can do a commission for you. Yeah. Oh, and like, shoot. Oh this yeah. Like a print of the podcast. Oh, like, I need to make that. Yeah. I know, because I can honestly just like yeah. make that because I then, have the illustrations. Yeah, maybe like so, a, yeah. a New York or Memphis cool. print. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> what I think I, I think you showed me. I it have a Memphis cute. print. Guys, that's really Memphis, cute. And you're looking for cute decorations. Her Memphis print is really good. So that's all I'm saying. I will oh plug gosh, others please. too. You see, okay. I can self-plug and <laughs> non-self-plug. I don't know. Self-promotion. <laughs> all right. Let's just hop on Boom. into our interview with Garrett. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now for the outro. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that, low-key. Let's not do a review today because I don't feel like it. <laughs> All right, you guys. Thanks so much for... Mm-hmm. 
Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at 20.something.podcast. And you can also follow our personal Instagrams, too. Um, like, comment, subscribe. And leave a five-star review. Yeah, that, yeah, smash that subscribe button. Yeah, that's it. All right. Mm-hmm. Bye, guys. Here's to being 20-something. All right. Bang. Cool. All right, T. This um, was good. Yes, if you do you want have me to edit time. it? Okay. I am yeah, realizing I that I need to okay. very quickly get this schedule for these photo shoots like up and running because I have like seven people, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you think about how much time it takes to come into Manhattan. And yeah, and so, and there are like all no, that is a lot from different areas. Yeah, is <laughs> so I need to do that this weekend <laughs> because they're all like, but when do we go? And yeah. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're also didn't think that far ahead. Yeah, we should probably start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I'm not gonna be able to speak for like three weeks. We should probably do yeah. We can for two sure next week I and then we two the next week just to make sure. Funny ones. Oh yes. Okay, okay. I yeah, want to do um, pet peeves so badly. I have, a, I have a lot. I'm a one. Everything's a pet peeve for me because I have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay. All have right, fun at the you. beach. Bye.